Ion 2020, episode 135. Have 2020 Vision with Eye on 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, the host that brings you the news, the related events, the things that are going on in the election for 2020. Everyone that's going to be fighting to beat Trump, they are out there doing what they got to do in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. All those Democrats, they are out there trying to pander to the left as far as they possibly can in order to make sure that they get your vote or the votes of those people that are willing to vote for them. Hopefully, a lot of my listeners are not going to vote in that situation there where they're going to vote for a Democrat. Uh, But hey, you know what? Everyone has their own decisions. You can do what you want. There are some of those candidates that might, you know, tickle your fancy in that sense if they're anti-war or, you know, maybe you're a Democrat listening to the show and you really like Bernie Sanders or one of these other candidates as well and you just want to hear a differing opinion, then hey, that's fine. I'm okay with people listening to the show. I listen to shows that I may disagree with philosophically as well sometimes just because you want to get different perspectives and different point of views and if that is the sh- what you're using this show for then hey you know what you're gonna hear a libertarian perspective on the news and events for the 2020 election this is ion 2020 and that is your source for libertarian spin on the 2020 election so i appreciate you coming out and listening to the show today i do uh coming back to you monday through friday i will come and bring you guys a show every day until the election comes I might skip one and two here and there, I'm not sure, but I haven't had to skip any yet since January, so that is Monday through Friday. I have 134 shows previous to this one, and this is number 135, so thank you. Thank you very much for listening, and if you, it's your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe to the show. You'll be able to hear more tomorrow. You can also go back through my feed and pick out some shows that you might be interested in listening to, and I will be happy if you guys listen to those as well. If you... If you really like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show and then give me a five-star rating and a review. Five-star ratings help out with the algorithms that get you shown shown up better when somebody searches for specific content or for specifically, you know, libertarian topics and so forth. So go ahead and do that if you can as well with a five-star rating and review. And if you want to follow me, Ion2020, you can find me at iontheempire.com. That is my website. I'm also I on the Empire, which is on Minds, Facebook, and Twitter as well. And Ray at IonTheEmpire.com is my email address. And if you'd like to email me, I love to hear stories about what you guys are doing in order to move forward the libertarian message, move liberty forward in your town, in your community, in your state, or you know, in your country if you're in a, from a foreign country as well. What are you doing that's going to help move liberty forward? I'd love to hear about it. And if you do tell me a little bit of a story about that, then I will go ahead and feature you as the final minute of my show every single time. Uh, Also, if you have like a website or something like that, I'll feature that as well. So let me know about it. And one way you can do that is 
by sending me a voice message also. So you can either email me, rayainthempire.com, or you can send me a voice message. And if you do this, this this is the way you'll have to do it. You go to anchor.fm slash I on the, or I on 2020. So anchor.fm slash I on 2020. And there you'll be able to send me a voice message as well if you wanted to support the show, you can send support that way uh, with a $2.99, $4.99, or $9.99 support level. So uh, that would be very much appreciated as well if you like what you hear. So today, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. But the first thing I want to talk about was Ross Perot. He is no longer with us. He passed away from leukemia yesterday, and that was the breaking news of the day. If you don't know who Ross Pro is, he kind of changed the name of the game when it comes to third-party runs back in 1992 and also again in 1996. He was able to muster like 17% of the vote. He, they called him a huge spoiler when it came to George Bush, the first George Bush, George Bush Sr. He was running against Bill Clinton in 1992. And Ross Pro, he was running on a very populist message. He would have won in a situation like it was in 2016 because that is what Donald Trump was running on as well as a populist message. He was against NAFTA. He was America first kind of guy. He's a multi, you know, billionaire businessman from Texas. And he, you know, shot straight with people on what they wanted to hear, what American people wanted to hear, which is like America first, America's the best. We need to worry about America, American interests and American jobs. And by having NAFTA, it's going to kill jobs in America and move them all to Mexico and move them all overseas and so forth. People love to hear that stuff, and he was able to muster a lot of vote, uh, votes against the Democrats and the Republicans, and ended up that George or that Bill Clinton ended up winning, obviously, in 1992 and in 96, but Ross Pro ran both of those years and ran very successful campaigns as an independent, probably the most successful independent campaign that has ever been ran. I mean, way better than anything that the Libertarians have ever done as well. He was able to get up there. I think I remember, believe it or not, guys, in like 1995, I think it was, or 1996, I read Ross Perot's book. I don't even remember the name of it. I just remember reading it. And I was like, yeah, this is great stuff. And it was talking about, you know, it talks about economic nationalism and, you know, being for America's interests and so forth. And I can't remember exactly what it's about, to be honest with you. But I know that I read it, and I remember thinking that it was a great book. And I was kind of supporting the guy back then. But I wasn't either Democrat or Republican back then. I was too young to really care too much about politics back then, obviously. It wasn't until 1999 when I really started understanding politics enough, and that's when I became a libertarian. But he was kind of the person that was probably the first political book that I ever read and got me thinking about politics in some way way back then. So... Not that I like the guy. I think he's been out of politics ever since then, and I don't like a lot of the things that he probably preached back then. Like I said, not something that I know too much about. I just know that he was against NAFTA. He was against free trade. He was for, you know, closing off the borders and just trading among ourselves, I guess, and maybe buying stuff from Hong Kong and different places, but not outsourcing all of our jobs to a thing like NAFTA. I think NAFTA, personally, I think that if you have free trade, if you have free free trade among nations, which is the government staying out of it. I think that that is a very good thing. A lot of times, things like NAFTA, what they do is they put quotas on certain products and not quotas on other products, and they favor some products and favor other, disfavor other products the way that the governments kind of negotiate these things as well. So it's kind of like a government intrusion into free trade, 
But when Mexico has their intrusions already into free trade by not allowing things in, and the and people are trying to get open open up Mexico to allow for manufacturing to happen and so forth, there are going to be winners and losers in that situation when the government set it up. So that's probably not a good thing, but it is better than no trade whatsoever, I suppose. So it did help with America, Americans to, I guess Mexicans got lots of jobs. They say like millions of jobs have been created because of NAFTA as well. I don't know how true that is. I, I've never really done any research on that specifically, but I'm generally for free trade and a free trade agreement. That's supposedly what it was, even though I'm sure there was special favors and situations and some benefit and some lost because of it. Um, obviously, I'm not for the government choosing economic winners or losers. But anyway, Ross Pro was against that. But I remember back in 1996, and when I read that book, I was kind of for us not participating in NAFTA and stuff like that. And like I said, I really don't remember too much about that. I just remember reading the book specifically. But yeah, he passed away. Um, the thing that he did that changed the rules of the game with a third-party run, though, and with an independent run, is that he challenged the Democrats and the Republicans big time and was able to garner a lot of support. I mean, 17% support across the country. I think that's what he got, 17% of the vote. And that's huge in this country for that to happen. I mean, the best libertarians ever done was with Gary Johnson. I think he got like one and a half or 2% of the vote. So with him to get, with Ross Pro to get 17% of the vote, to me, what it ended up doing though, is it challenged the Democrats and Republicans, and they ended up making it so that it's harder for a third party candidate to get themselves into the debates. So at that time, Ross Pro got onto the debates. I'm sure you could YouTube this stuff if you wanted to, but Ross Pro ended up getting onto the debate stage during 1992 and in 1996. And nobody took him seriously, but when he got up there and he talked, he was not a Republican, he was not a Democrat. He was someone that was different, and people it resonated with people a lot. And that's how he ended up getting such a, such a huge amount of the vote at the time. I think if I remember correctly, he did not get into the first debate, but he got into like the second or third debate when George Bush and Clinton were up there. And he, yeah, he looked like a scrawny old man at the time, and it, you know, not that, but but what he was saying resonated with the people, and it allowed him to get front and center across the country, that national audience of people that watched it. And that's how he was able to get more of the vote. Nowadays, it's almost impossible because of the way that Democrats and Republicans have rigged the system, essentially, that it's almost impossible for a third-party candidate to get themselves onto that debate stage. I know that Gary Johnson has been fighting hard since about 2013 in order to try to get it's set up so that a third party can have an easier time getting on the debate stage. Like, for example, maybe if you're able to get into, you know, I think what he's trying to do is if you're able to get into enough states, onto, the, onto enough states' ballot access, right? If you're able to get onto the enough states' ballots that you are able to actually win the presidency, that you should be on the debate stage. So... I think if you if you figure it out, if you're able to get into California, Florida, some most of the larger states, if you're able to get ballot access on those states, and you could actually win the presidency with enough electoral college votes, if you won all the states that you're on, then you should be able to get onto the debate stage. But right now, that's not the case. I think there's a certain case where you have to have 
I think it's 20% of the vote in order to get on the debate stage. And I'm not sure exactly what the numbers are, but it's a very high bar. It's almost an impossible bar for a third party to reach right now. And all that the Democrats and Republicans, they're not for a third party to be on that debate stage. They don't want somebody challenging them. They have a monopoly on that debate stage between the two of them. Why would they want to fight for a third party to get on that debate stage, right? It would allow the American people to have more choice. And you guys both, you guys all know that, that both parties don't want us to have choice in the matter. So what Gary Johnson has been trying to do is fight for that ballot act, not ballot access, but fight to be able to get on the debate stage. That it's unconstitutional that a third party can't get on the debate stage because the, the bar has been set too high for a third party. But with Ross Perot, that's the reason why they put that bar so high is because he was able to get on the debate stage and essentially has spoiled the election for the Republicans is what they say. But that is the legacy of Ross Perot, is the way that that gerrymandering happens. So, you know, rest in peace, Ross Perot, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know the guy. He's kind of not been on the, the the world stage for about the, or, you know, the national stage since after that 1996 election, but he was somebody that was able to challenge the third party, the, the two-party system that we have. And I think that that was a good thing um, the legacy now, though, has been the way that the Democrats and Republicans have re- reacted to that, which is to build this wall around that debate stage so that nobody else can get onto it except for the Republicans and the Democrats. So you look like you only have two choices at all times. And we all know that that is wrong. But that's the way it is. So let's go ahead and move on to the next little topic that I have for you guys as well. So Eric Swalwell... You ever heard of him? Most of us have not. You only know him because he, if you maybe watched the debate two weeks ago, if you may have watched the Democratic debate, he was on that debate stage and he has dropped out of the 2020 election, the first of the 23 who are in the race to drop out. Uh, He did not garner much support whatsoever during this primary. And he also... You know, he did make the debate stage, so he got 65,000 individual contributors, or he had 1% of the vote. I don't think that he ever really had 1% of the vote. He was just able to get those, those 65,000 individual contributors. He was from this, the, the San Francisco Bay Area, and his big thing on that stage was that he was the one that was challenging Joe Biden during the second night of the debates to pass the torch. He kept saying, pass the torch. Like a, I mean, he sounded like a... a absolute idiot to be honest with you but that's the only thing that he really challenged anybody on during that debate and he hardly got any speaking time i think he got the least amount of speaking time on that stage the second night as well uh hardly known he's a representative from california and his big issue was basically making guns illegal like he was a staunch enemy of the second amendment when he was talking he sounded like he was for mandatory buybacks on web on any guns he was for the confiscation of those guns he was for banning them almost outright it sounded like to me he's the guy i mean one of the things that he said is that he basically said we live in a nation now where I have to look at my kids and know what they're wearing before they go to school just in case I have to pick them out and you know after after a shooting I have to pick them out and see whose body it is like absolutely sounded like a bonkers guy he's like 
talking about when he was, you know, I, I take my kids to a movie and I'm looking for exits just to make sure that if there's a mass shooter that comes in, I'm ready to go and I'm ready to run for the exits. Like, does anybody really do that? That's totally what a politician would say, to be honest with you. That's all the, that's the way that politicians would frame every single argument is as if it's a major catastrophe. Like you're going to have to, like, like parents are really afraid when their kids go to school that they're going to get shot up. That's a, it happens in America. Obviously we hear about it probably three, four, five times a year that there was some kind of shooting at a school. And then every so often it's a mass shooting at a school or it's a mass shooting at a club or it's a mass shooting at a movie theater. But it's a it's a exception to the rule. It, it very rarely happens in that sense. Like you're not thinking to yourself when you send your kid to a school that there's going to be a mass shooting, and you're not looking at their clothes to make sure that you can identify them at the end of the day if there was a mass shooting. Like that's not what a parent is thinking. They're not literally they're not living in fear for their kids, unless you are listening to a politician like him speak. And that's what politicians do. Though they try to make everything seem like. It is a complete disaster that we're in crisis mode all the time and that they have the answers to the problems. That's what politicians do. And he did that pretty well on that debate stage where it made people, it didn't make me think, it made me think, yeah, that's very politician-y for him to say. But I'm sure the reason why he's saying it is because people that he has talked to and people that are on his team, his presidential election team, that are telling him to say that because those are things that pull well in the public and that maybe it's going to make those people that hate guns already fear it even more. But that guy is an enemy of the Second Amendment and he's in Congress. And if if you're there to defend the Constitution, well, he's an enemy of the Constitution from that standpoint. But yeah, he's out of the race and that's actually good riddance, to be honest, because he is not the guy that would represent this country very well honestly, as a president, um, he's somebody that's going to destroy your rights by taking away your Second Amendment rights, first of all, and once you tread on that right, then they're willing to tread on more rights as well uh, and tell you what to do, so good riddance to the guy, I think that it's probably best that he's out, he wasn't getting any traction anyway, not a very popular guy, he seemed like he was clumsy, he didn't seem like he was prepared very well, um, and Joe Biden definitely did not pass the torch on to Eric Swalwell. So that's it. That's all I know about him. Uh, you'll probably never hear about him again. That's probably a good thing. But you know what? I'm sure he's going to try to make a Senate run or something. They say he's going to do it to get it back into Congress. But uh, all these guys, they have ambitions to take on more and more power so that they can have more and more control of your life. And I'm sure that that is the case with this guy as well. But if that's not enough, so we have 23 down to 22, right? But we have another dude from California that's deciding to jump into the race. Tom Steyer, he's a multi-billionaire from California. He's going uh, to be joining the race as well. Uh, he's been telling his staffers and so forth. I guess they said that he went to Iowa back in January to denounce that he was not going to run for president on the Democratic ticket. Is that weird that you would go to Iowa to announce that you're not going to run? That's It sounds pretty stupid to me, to be honest. But I'm sure that there was something going on there where he still hadn't made a full decision on whether he's not going whether he's going to run or not going to run. But yes, uh, Tom Steyer, he's a, he's a billionaire. He's 62 years old. And he's going to be running for 
the presidency of the United States on the Democratic ticket. I guess he is a climate activist. He's from San Francisco, so probably very, very liberal. And I wonder what the reason, it doesn't really say on the article that I'm looking at, why he wants to run or what he's going to bring to the table that's different from the other candidates. Because you know right now, these candidates, they have to differentiate themselves, right? You already have the governor from Washington State that's calling himself the guy that's going to be the environmentalist candidate. Like, he is focused in specifically on the environment. You have Tulsi Gabbard. She's going to be the anti-war candidate. That's one thing that she always ties everything back into is pulling out of the wars. Julian Castro. Julian Castro, sorry. Julian Castro. He is going to be the immigration candidate. You have Bernie Sanders. He's going to be the Democratic Socialist candidate. Joe Biden. He's going to be the moderate guy, right? The moderate left moderate candidate that's the electable person like everyone has their lane that they're running in if tom stair has any plans on getting into the presidency if he's gonna have any chance of winning or any chance of getting anywhere in this thing he's gonna have to really differentiate himself big time now he is a billionaire so i imagine he has plenty of money to self-fund himself and that's something, but he has to, he really has to differentiate himself. How is he going to do it? Who knows? It doesn't say it in any of the articles that I found, but I don't think that he's officially decided to run yet, although he has made several announcements according to the things that I see that he is going to be announcing this week um, and that he's, that he's taking it as a serious thing that he's going to run for president. So we shall see what happens. So interestingly... Joe Biden raised the most money during the second quarter. So far, he's raised the most money, followed by Pete Buttigieg, and then finally Elizabeth Warren. That amazes me, though, that Pete Buttigieg, a, and I've said this a hundred times on my show, a mayor from South Bend, Indiana, was able to outraise Elizabeth Warren, who clearly has more experience than him and you know overall has more answers and ideas and so forth but Pete Buttigieg is a charismatic guy and he has people behind him I don't know what it is I really don't but when he's able to raise more than Cory Booker when he's able to raise more than Elizabeth Warren when he's able to raise more than Kamala Harris when he the only person that was able to raise more than him is the vice president, the ex-vice president of the United States. That just amazes me that that's the case. And there is way more to his story than meets the eye. There has to be. Absolutely has to be. I'm still looking into it. I am. Because why is this the case? He's definitely, he was a Bernie supporter in the previous elections, right? He has the, he has the money behind him. He has the people that are raising money in California, the the elite liberals that are raising money for this guy big time. And I'm not sure why. He's the mayor of a of South Bend, Indiana. So there's something more to this story than meets the eye. I just haven't found it, but I'm looking. And that's what I'm going to do constantly is look, look, look because there's more to that story. Why I let me know if you guys feel the same way. I would love to hear it. Ray at IamTheEmpire.com, all right? Because 
I've, I've actually heard somebody say this already. There's one gentleman that I'm friends with on Facebook that's a libertarian here in South Carolina, and he was saying that there's more that, to the story that meets the eye as well. He said it just sounded kind of weird that the mayor from South Bend, Indiana is doing so good. He was calling him that he's going to be the next president of the United States or no person is going to run against Donald Trump even. I don't know if he said he was going to be the next president, but he said that this guy is going to be running against Donald Trump. Just the way that he's well-spoken, the way that he is able to expound upon the ideas and reel people in with the charisma that he has. That being said, I don't know that he's going to beat Donald Trump, but it's possible. People love charisma. People love the looks. The people love the uh, the youngness of of a candidate like that as well. So who knows? He might be able to beat Donald Trump, depending upon how the economy is do- going as well. If he gets the nomination, and a lot of people are thinking that he will, but he's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Never been in Congress. Never been in the Senate. Doesn't know much about politics whatsoever. But obviously, he knows a lot about politics. And obviously he has people behind him because he has the donors behind him. He has the big money bundlers behind him. He has Hillary Clinton's bundlers behind him and Barack Obama's bundlers behind him. I talked about that on a previous episode. So who knows? Who knows how this is the case? But the thing is with us being libertarians, right? We are able to stand outside of this and look at it in an objective way. We're able to look at these candidates and say, all these promises that they're making are BS, right? We're able to look at these candidates and say all these promises that these people are making, what they are doing is they're confiscating somebody else's wealth to give to somebody. They're passing laws because they think that their way is better than our way and that we should do it their way. They cannot convince us to do it their way, so they're going to pass a law to make it happen. That's what it is. If they were willing to use persuasion to change my mind, then then do it. Persuade me in the idea that we should force everybody to, you know, give give more money to their taxes so that we could pay for everyone's college. Persuade me in that. But don't pass a law to make it happen. But that's what they're asking you to do. They're, they're saying, you know what, I think everyone should get free college, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to pass a law. We're going to do debt forgiveness. We're going to start paying for all free, all college tuition for free. And we're going to socialize the entire system so that everyone else has to pay for someone else's college, whether they drop out or not. Because they cannot persuade people in the idea of donating that money to the cause, Right? But there's plenty of donations. There's plenty of scholarships out there. There's thousands upon thousands of dollars in scholarships that you can apply for. There's plenty of companies that say, you know what, we have tuition reimbursement. So you don't need to persuade people in that direction. But they're just trying to pander. But they're not willing to persuade you because that doesn't buy votes. That doesn't get them reelected. That doesn't get them elected. We're libertarians. We can see that. We can rise above that and look at things objectively. And that's what we should do. Like the gun debate and so forth. Eric Swallow was against guns. He's against the Second Amendment. But we can look at that and say, hold on. There is a Second Amendment. If you want to get rid of the Second Amendment, how do you get rid of an amendment? You have to go through the amending process of the Constitution. If you want to make it so there's no more guns, stop trying to pass laws that are illegal and, and get the entire country on board with that. That's what you would have to do. But there would be there would be riots in the streets if that happened. I was actually 
up in Tennessee over the weekend, last weekend. You guys remember me talking about that. I was up there helping my family out. My wife's family, my my in-laws, they had bought a house up there, and I was helping them to gut the house out. We went to this restaurant, and it was the funniest thing on the front of the license plate. It said, my wife, yes, my dog, maybe, my guns, never, right? And what, the, what, what that's implying, obviously, is that, yeah, right, you're never going to take my guns. There's no way that Americans are going to allow the government to come in there and confiscate their guns, even if they pass the Second Amendment. There would be a rebellion. There would be riots in the street. And that's just the way it is because Americans protect that right. It's a right that we have to the property that we have. We have the right to defend ourselves. Do we need to depend upon a police officer who's not going to be to your house for 30 minutes? If you call them to protect you, no, you need to have a, a pistol in your house that can protect you in the case of a home invasion. You should have that right to have that gun. There should be no politician that can tell you otherwise. For example, I have, a, I have an alarm system at my house. I have a security system at my house. One morning it goes off because my son had gone out and walked the dog, right? I was sleeping. I had my phone upstairs. Security company, they called a couple of times, no answer. So in response, what they do is if they don't hear from me, if, that, if, if they don't get a hold of me within that first minute or so of it going off, they call the police. Well, like 45 minutes later, the police had never come to my house. I get the message on the phone that they had called me and that they were going to call the police. The police never showed up. What if there was a home invasion at that point? What if I was dead on the floor? The cops would not have found me. They never came to my house. Even though the security alarm company called the police, they never made it to my house. And I'm supposed to depend upon them to protect me? No, we have a right to bear arms in this country. And that's something that no politician should be able to take away. That's something that no amendment to the Constitution should be able to take away. And that's that. We have that right. We have the right to that property. We have a right to protect ourselves. And as soon as you take away that right to protect yourself, then you have to depend upon somebody else for that protection. And that's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. Um, also, I mean, look at look at the federal government in the first place. Imagine a world where the federal government becomes more and more overpowering in our lives, right? Should we have the right at that point to defend ourselves from our own government? Or what if another country invades this country? And, I mean, there, there's lots of situations where you might need guns. Now, those are unlikely scenarios. It's very unlikely that another country is going to invade our country today or tomorrow. But in a 100 years, maybe. a 1,000 years, maybe. 50 years, who knows? Things can happen. We have a country that is almost on the verge of bankruptcy right now. $22 trillion in debt, soon to be $23 trillion in debt. We're in a situation where they have hundreds of trillions of dollars of obligations to senior citizens for Medicare and Social Security, for other entitlement entitlements that are going on. No politician is going to touch that. And we're going to be looking at a situation where Possibly one day the government could go under. I mean, if you talk to people in 1985 in the Soviet Union, you would have said, 
No, the Soviet Union is never going to fall. It's the world's superpower. America and Soviet Union, the world's superpower. We are the greatest, they would say. Our government will never go away. It's here forever. God bless communism. Whatever, you know, I mean, whatever they would say, you would not suspect that the Soviet Union would be gone, you know, five years later. You would never assume that, but it happened. Chaos ensues. You have to protect your property at that point. How are you going to protect your property if you have no guns, if you have no weapons? In the absence of government, you need to protect your property. You need to protect your person and your property, your life and your property. You should have that right to do that. And we as libertarians, we can see those things in an objective way. We can. So hopefully, we can hold these leaders that are running for president. We can start looking at them and calling them out for what they believe in, for the lack of freedom that they believe in, for the lack of liberty that they believe in. We can start calling them out on the Republican side and the Democratic side and say, you are not for freedom. You are not for liberty. We can call them out. We can tell them to stop pandering. We can demand that they change their views. If we as a people, if we grow to the point where we have the votes that are out there, we're going to change the world. We're going to be able to change politics. The reason why the po- the politicians right now are pandering to the democratic socialists is because there's a movement there, guys. That's why they're pandering to them. That's why they're saying we need free everything. Everything's free. Everything should be socialized. We believe in democratic socialism. The reason why they're pandering like that is because there's a movement that will vote, that'll get out there and make noise and make waves. We need a movement like that again. We have that ability. And if we do, the Democrats will pander to us. The Republicans will pander to us. The Libertarians will pander to us. They will all be talking about how great it would be to have less government if we can get to that point. But we need to start by educating people, by gathering a movement together, changing the culture, changing the ideas that society has about about its relationship with government. And at that point, once we have that, then we can start changing the government itself and start taking it apart and start pulling it apart, start getting rid of some of these programs, start getting rid of some of these entitlements, start getting rid of a lot of the military, start pulling back the military from abroad. One thing at a time, guys, one thing at a time. But that we can do that. We need to change the culture that we live in the idea that people have about their relationship with government. That laws are not the answer. More laws is not the answer. More freedom, more liberty is the answer. So go ahead and spread that word. Let me know about what you're doing. Ray at IamTheEmpire.com Tell me about what you're doing to spread liberty. There's many people out there that are spreading liberty. Culture of peace. That podcast, Spreading Liberty, Luke Tatum over there, great guy. Seems like he is really doing a good job at bringing people's ideas of liberty out, talking about what they're doing across the country as well. Doing something similar to what I'm trying to do as well. Just get people to understand what they can do to change change the culture, change the society towards one that demands less government.
if we do that, if we can change that, that's how we, that's how we win. And then we can start arguing about who's going to build the roads, guys. But let's get to that point. <laughs> let's figure out how to get to that point where we can argue about who's going to build the roads, okay? But hey, guys, go ahead. If you haven't already, stop what you're doing. Subscribe to the show. Come back tomorrow and listen. And you'll have clear vision for 2020.